My son just took it away. So let's close in prayer. When I looked at him there, obviously you filled with all kinds of emotions. And Adele's favorite prayer or plea to Craig is, I'll give you $100 if you'll shave. <laughs> but he's got to be who he is. And uh, I want to, you know, kind of, you pray for folk, you prepare them for church planting. And when your own son comes and he's caught that with three of your grandchildren, we found that very difficult. <laughs> but of course, we had to open our hands and release them. We did ask if they could give us those three grandchildren. And when they get to New York, they could have three others. It seemed logical. <laughs> but it didn't quite work that way. <laughs> no, we love them. We really do. And uh, Stan and Heather, you guys are an amazing gift to the body of Christ. Why don't we give God an applause for them? You know... Transitions are not easy, and as we've kind of spent many hours together on this weekend, it's just awesome to hear fresh vision. That Isaiah 54 scripture, just a heads up, Stan read it today, it's about God wanting to bring you into a time of greater fruitfulness, get ahead of time and start meditating on that scripture, and praying into it, three parts, first part, sing, in other words, there's a prophetic declaration, second part, get your values in the right place. And the third part, bye-bye to a lot of you. You're going to be going to plant. <laughs> You're going to be transitioning, taking this gospel out. Um, very interested to hear the kind of prophetic word of God wants to deal with barrenness. And I do feel that. Often, the older we get as believers, we can get to a place of barrenness. We become professional. We almost, you know, if you close your eyes, you can say, you know, that's Mr. and Mrs. Smith there, Cameron and Jeannie over there. <laughs> you know, you, you sit in the same places. You, you, you know, there's a routine to everything, and sometimes the life of God goes out of it. And I want to encourage us this morning to get back to that place of fruitfulness. And like we heard in the song, it was just learning how to praise God again in a fresh way, abiding by Him, living according to His Word. I'm going to cover something that is basic but I feel essential as we the church prepare ourselves for some of the greatest adventure that is waiting for us. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. And you know when they're looking for life, this is what they're coming to see. This is what we, we're not here to fix potholes. You know, make sure traffic lights work. You know, make sure the water system works. It frustrates the living daylights out of all of us. We are for the kingdom of God. We are to ensure that lost people can get found. We are to ensure that the kingdom of God impacts Durban like never before. And we've, I've said it, whenever I've got up here, I remind you of the prophecies over you. And the one thing is, is you are a gateway church. God has designed it that you are going to bless this area and beyond. That's the way it is. I just wanted to honor three guys. Andrew, please stand up. <laughs> Ronnie. And the third one has just gone out of my mind. He's over 60 and I'm battling. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is a third one. Whoever you are, stand up. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I want to honor you guys. Doug, it was you. My nickname for Doug is Doug the Thug. 
Please stand up, Doug. You guys are men who, along with your wives, have pioneered. And I want to just commend you for your brave hearts, for your incredible faith in doing what you did. And in your own way, you've impact, impacted our lives and people that have kind of interacted with you. And I, for me, this word of barrenness is something to remind you that it's not over yet. Did you hear that, Doug? It's not over, buddy. It's not over, and it's not over. Because those very passions that got you to where, we, where you are now, there's way more that God has for you. You know, I think of the, the Caleb story continues to encourage me. 85, he takes the hill country. How old are you, Andrew? You have still got 28 years to get to Caleb's age. And Caleb says, as I was when I was 50, I'm as strong as that now. So I'm prophesying over you guys. There's a fruitfulness that you need to step into that God wants to give you. It's not over yet. Amen? Let's give God an applause for those dudes. So, my kind of uh, interest over the last time is one of the things that impacted me as uh, foundational to our partnership with NCMI was this thing where there are no heroes in the church except Jesus. And that we as the priesthood are called to do the work of the ministry. Not we pay a few full-time guys and then we tell them, you do it, we sit and watch. This kind of spectator Christianity, lukewarm Christianity, you know, end user kind of understanding of Christianity is not God's will. It's the mobilizing of every single one of us to the work of the ministry. That is the bottom line. And I live for that. We preach into that and we keep trusting God for that and realizing that we have what this world needs. All we've got to do is understand how to Learn this thing, get it into our hearts, let it transform us, and then impact those around with us. That's Christianity's bottom line. Jesus kind of preaches, and there's hundreds of people that he gathers, and he chooses 12. And all he does is just send people out. All, if you ever see Jesus working, it's sending guys and girls out to go and preach this gospel. And so turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. It will come up on the board. We're going to read 17 to 21. All about the gospel being a message of reconciliation. Who remembers the day of their salvation? You need to. That is the pivotal point in history for you. There was a before salvation and an after salvation. And I know, for some of you, because I know a bit of your backgrounds, the reason why heaven rejoiced, because it was a sigh of relief. Because now you're going to stop causing trouble in the world. And God was just so excited about seeing you come in. Now, everything about, I grew up on the bluff. I just want to connect with my bluff buddies on the front row over here. Uh, you don't have to be scared. I'm now quite calm and quite reasonable. But here's the deal. Everything about Durban is, you know, dysfunctional family getting into drugs. And it's all the negative stuff. I had to go to Joburg on a job transfer to meet Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that was awesome for me. It really was. And so Durban taught me how to be bad. And Joburg taught me about the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? Uh, now I'm coming back to Durban to tell you guys that the gospel works. 
I, in my kind of drugged state, I used to say at South Beach at one stage when I kind of moved out of home, remember walking along the beachfront and in Viz Church had a circle and they were doing outreach and guys were giving their testimony. Me and my buddy stood there and we just, we heckled the whole way through. I said, this is rubbish, this is rubbish. And isn't it great? Later on, this is, in this church, kind of, this church came out of that. And here we are sharing and celebrating the gospel together. And I thank God for that because outside, I am sure I would have become a statistic. I was messed up, I had no idea what love meant, family meant, fathers meant, nothing. And I remember coming forward to get saved at this little Pentecostal church. I was told that just like, spontaneously they all speak in Hebrew tongues. (laughs) So I was very curious, but I I knew I needed to be born again. Standing at the front, they lead me to the Lord. I kind of pray the prayer, and then they show the scriptures, and I couldn't believe there was a Father in heaven who had a plan for my life. It just blew my mind. And I know I identify with those who have got, like, daddy issues, but in Christ, the Father becomes an incredible father to us. And, and that was the restoration. Um, they said, do you want to be baptized? And I said, sure. Look, I hadn't heard the Hebrew stuff up to that point. That next Sunday night, I get baptized standing in the water. I'd taken all my beads and stuff. I had an afro in those days. <laughs> when I get to heaven, on my dressing table, on that like, little head thing, there's an afro waiting for me, bro. I wonder what's waiting for you. <laughs> anyway... Get into the water, uh, flushed all my stuff down the drain and all the rest. This was it. And the pastor still said to me, are you serious about this? And I said, totally. Went down under the water, black, just felt like a pool of blackness and came up with light, speaking in tongues. God just filled me there and then. And the immediate thing, because I feel when God fills us with his spirit, it's for a purpose. And I felt God saying, you're going to bring many sons and daughters through into their inheritance. And in meeting Adele, she was already at that church. Uh, we've had the wonderful privilege of serving on, we planted in Hilbra, the place where I was kind of doing all the bad stuff, joined Cornerstone, was on two eldership teams. Uh, now we've been leading that eldership team for 23 years. And we've seen generation after generation of guys and girls come through and trusting God for them to find their ministry, find this call that is theirs and go make a difference in the kingdom. We get one shot at this and then we're dead. That's it, you know. And so I want to encourage you. This is where it starts. This ministry that is ours in Christ, this is where it starts. 2 Corinthians, the message of reconciliation. So let's read this passage. Uh, Wonderful passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. By the way, if you want to say Yes, no, or just hallelujah, you, you're allowed to. Thank you. Was that you, Ronnie? Yes, I paid him before. <laughs> I'd shoot him. Twelve samosas after the service, boy. I want to hear. <laughs> the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It blows my mind. When Paul explains the gospel, the gospel is not an isolated thing we receive. We receive to become ministers. We receive the gospel to preach the gospel, to display the gospel. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So he saves you. you this gospel starts to transform you. He gives us a ministry, and he's given us a message. Isn't that awesome? There was a good opportunity for an amen. Anyway, uh, verse 20, we're therefore, a bit late, but anyway, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's awesome. It's a thank you. <laughs> you can all have some of Ronnie's samosas afterwards. To understand this role of being an ambassador, once I've been born again, that is it. I belong to heaven. I'm a representative of heaven. And you know, ambassadors have got kind of a, a speech they're going to give. This is what we're going to bring to your country and this is what we hope you know, our impact will be. Or we want to talk peace. So we have come on Christ's behalf because we've received the gospel to be ambassadors of that gospel. And wherever we are, God has ordained it that we become these uh, messengers of reconciliation. We're not telling people to brush their teeth or, you know, you know, live properly or, you know, do some very secondary thing. We're here to talk to them about life and death. There can be no more important job on this planet than each one of us has been given, every single one of us, to be these ministers of reconciliation. So let's unpack this a little so we can understand that the gospel is a message of reconciliation, right? Number one, we have been reconciled to God is the starting point. And today, if what I'm saying and some of the stuff we've covered in worship, you kind of think, I'm not too sure about this. You're going to get an opportunity today to receive Jesus Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior. The most important thing is to make that decision. And God is going to work every circumstance around your life to get you to that point so that you can pray that prayer and make that decision. That is the starting point, and I want to encourage you with that. But let's just backtrack a little bit. If you were God, okay, and this world that you created and all the beauty and, you know, kind of gave it to mankind, you rebelled. You send prophets and the prophets are killed. If you were God, what would you do to this world? If it was in your hand, I would squeeze it, right? I would squeeze it until all that rebellious blood dripped out of it, right? Because they don't deserve it. I'd just flick that in the air and, what's his name, Pollard? I'd just scoop it into a black hole. Remember that... Uh, We've been taught there are black holes out there. And then I say, let's start again. Listen to this. God in his infinite love sends his only son to people whom he created to enjoy him and enjoy his creation. And they rebel, but he sends his son. That is how awesome reconciliation is. While you were yet in your sin, he had already reconciled you. He'd already reached out in love. And the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so he separates my sin from me. You know the heaviness. You know the ugliness. You know the detail of your sin. And that means when he separates it, there's no more condemnation. 
And you know, every single time we come to Him and we confess our sin, because we are, even after we are saved, we're going to make bad choices. If we confess it, He forgives us and He cleans us from all unrighteousness. There is no greater love. And that same passage of Scripture in Psalms says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so is God's love in its magnitude. Everything about love drove Christ to the cross. And he had you and he had me in his heart saying, I'm going to die for them. Isn't that awesome? We've been reconciled to God. The, the God of the universe is not looking to squash the ants that are rebellious. He's looking to bring them into a new relationship of life. And I want to live in that place of a short account. I don't want to let it kind of every two, three weeks, then I deal with my heart. Martin Luther King, every night before the fire, he was the great restorationist, and he would list his sins of commission, in other words, the things he shouldn't have done that he did that were wrong, and then he had list his sins that he, of the things he should have done that he never did. And boy, we've always got a list of those. And then before the fire, he'd throw the list in the fire, and he'd say, thank you for your forgiveness. No condemnation. Done through the blood of Christ. He has washed us, cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And if we don't applaud, then we definitely have forgotten about it. I'll give you a moment. There we go. Good. <laughs> You're not applauding me. I'm applauding God because I still want to live with a fresh account of this salvation that has made me what I am. I am not made by anything else other than what God has done on the cross for me. And I'm super thankful for it. I never want to lose it. So for us to try and understand this, the salvation has got three tenses. Number one, I have been saved, which is, front row, you should know this, it's called justification. I had nothing to do with it. God in His love for me died on the cross. All I've got to do is accept this, the price God paid for that, I don't have to pay that price. I don't have to be punished for my sin. He's done it. So in the kind of greatest court of all, the court of heaven, I was declared not guilty. Isn't that awesome? We're going to stand before the great, him at the great white throne judgment, and he's going to say, not guilty. Not guilty for who? For those who are in Christ, who've accepted him as Lord and Savior. Second one is I am being saved, and that is... Listen, dudes, I heard it from this bluff section of your church. You always considered us not very bright. This dude got it. He got it. Sanctification. Sanctification. I am being saved. So it's not like the completed, yeah, completed work was done, it's justified. But now I'm working out my salvation. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And how? Through obedience to his word. And it's not just about the internal things of changing into his likeness and image. It's being obedient to the call of God. God's got a call on our lives. And imagine that he's made us for a purpose and we ignore it. And all we want to do is become trophies. No, sanctification is also about being prepared to do the work of the ministry that all of us are being called to. So that sanctification process has to do with work. Saved by grace, but in the sanctification process, now I've got to work for that inheritance that is mine. There's a job to do. You've been given talents. Go and use them. Third one is I will be saved. We'll give the others a chance. 
Glorification. Oh, not bad, eh? These Durban North people are kind of not too bad. <laughs> Glorification is, that blows my mind. We don't live with a proper trust and account of this glorification because it's hope. In every situation, the gloomiest day of any believer, just think about it for you. There's always hope. What is the worst thing that can happen to a believer? You die. Well, that's the very best thing that could happen to us. Because not here, present with him. Of course, I don't want to die, and I know dying hurts. I've seen some of that happen. But I have this constant hope before me. And you know what the Bible says? We haven't begun to comprehend what he's prepared for us. Imagine this. He said, I'll go to prepare a room for you. How long has Jesus been gone? You know when visitors visit you, how your wife scurries around and gets the room ready and all pretty. It takes her two hours maybe. <laughs> Jesus for 2,000 years has been preparing a place for us. That's got to be something. That is awesome. That alone should convince people to choose life. You know, too many of us have got this Hollywood or cartoon idea. You know, when you die, you get issued with a cloud, a harp. And maybe a few little pudgy wings. That's it. Imagine that for all of eternity. You're stuck on a cloud with a harp. I can't play music. So for the rest of eternity. And then I'll lose the harp. So it's me and the cloud, you know. It's, well, the other Hollywood idea is all of us go to heaven. And then there's a groovy part of heaven. And then the serious part. And No, only those who accept Christ as Lord and Savior. But I hasn't seen nor entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those that love him. Man, there's an inheritance waiting for us. The biggest for me is well done, good and faithful servant. That well done just motivates me. Don't you want to please the Father who provided this amazing salvation? Of course we do. The second thing is we've been reconciled to ourselves. This is, um, Stan and I were talking about this. This is the big one. This is one I think we ignore and we don't realize. And it sounds weird, you know. Yeah, I can understand reconciled to God, but reconciled to myself. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that interesting? As yourself. So there is a sense of the gospel changes me. Jesus, before he'd done a single thing, heaven opened and the Father declared over his son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And just saying that now, your heart leaps. Because you need to live under that identity and affirmation and grace. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Not about performance. It's Christ had submitted himself to water baptism. He was doing the will of the Father. And in that place, we live under the approval of God. And we know that as we grow up and various people we interact with according to how ugly we are or they are, they say words that can sometimes lodge in our hearts that change our natures completely. And it becomes a bondage, a shame. You guys went through a course on shame. And, and we, we, we can never quite accomplish what is ours in Christ Jesus because of this. And you see, kind of this is how I see it. You know, we know God made man in his image, in his likeness. So if this was like a creation palette, and God was making, say, like a perfect guy, Stan. You know, molding, yeah, I just love Stan, you know. Talking 
Amen. <laughs> I dig this. You've got a few followers here. And as he was making Stan, a bit of clay, creation clay, fell off. And he bumped one of the angels, says, pick that up. Put it down. He said, that's Marcus. <laughs> yeah. Prog put a few eyes in, pull a nose, no hair, get rid of that. Hang on, bring that other little thing, freckles, 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 freckles. And then that's it. We think we're a mistake. So I got my mom and dad's Bible uh, that they got on the day they were married. And I checked the date. And you know what I realized? That I was born six months after that. I was a miracle. I really was. <laughs> they didn't even have incubators in those days. They had a drum where they put the babies in. I don't know. But here I was, six months, I survived. And then, of course, reality struck. <laughs> I was a mistake. I may have been their mistake and the cause of them getting married. Mom got married at 18 because of this little thing that went on in the back seat of a car. They weren't born again. And, you know, I, I was the result. And, you know, often you live under that. I'm a mistake. Stan's like premeditated. But I was a mistake. We've got to get rid of that. Because in Christ, nobody is a mistake. He, the Bible says, has foreordained you. Even before you were in your mother's womb, he had a plan for you. I'm going to accomplish this through him or her. Lord, let it happen. Heal me here. Deliver me here. You, you know, when the Spirit of God came while Jesus was ministering, there was a lot of deliverance. And salvation is about learning that I've been reconciled to myself. In Christ, I'm a whole person again. And that's awesome. I tell you, it really is awesome. And you know, this is the area where the devil hammers us. And especially ladies about, you know, like, steal your identity and sell it back to you at a price. So, kind of, your nose is too big, so we have a nose job. Other things are too big, so we reduce them. Or we grow them, or we, you know, it's pathetic. Even guys now, they, you know, try and shave off a bit of butt or put on butt so they can fill their jeans properly. And I'm saying, has this world gone mad? What's wrong with you? Leave your nose. God made it. He's happy with it. You know, look after your body, yes, but why we have such an obsession with the body? And now suddenly beauty's thin. Who said beauty was thin? Thin beauty looks a bit awkward at times. You know, some of those supermodels are... They do all kinds of photoshopping to get them to look like that. They're not like that. And anyway, as God created you, you're responsible for your body. Do your exercise. Eat the right food. Have some pudding now and again. It's good for you. It's not a bad thing. Avoid vegetables like broccoli and that. I just want to warn you. They're out there like sharks in the water looking to kill you. Avoid those guys at all costs. But who said thin was beautiful? In my understanding, for us who come from Africa, beauty is mafuta. Isn't that right? Every tongue, every language, every culture gathered before the king. This is a big bride, a beautiful bride. And the value then is not in what we see, but it's in the hearts. And I want to be healed in my heart. And a lot of ministry nowadays is into this area of shame and a poor sense of self-identity. And it does cripple us. It cripples the way we relate to others. It cripples the way we kind of relate to God as well. And we need to be free. It is just so important. This is my beloved son, daughter, whom 
I'm well pleased. Third one is we've been reconciled to each other, Christians. We, we are okay with that one. First one's good, the third one's good. Second one about ourselves, we battle a bit. But this one over here is, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor, loving your family in Christ is an absolute essential. And the only way we can do this is we've got to transcend from arriving on a Sunday and filling a seat to where we become integrated and functioning in a local church. Because that's the way God has reserved it, that through each other, we're going to help mature ourselves. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So it's through our relational interactions. It's through, you know, Paul arguing uh, with Barnabas and disagreeing. Paul even, dis seems like Paul disagreed with a lot of people. He disagreed with Peter as well about Peter's, you know, kind of pathetic attitude, his hypocrisy. But it's as we interact, we get to know each other. You spur me on, I spur you on. We change into the likeness and image of Jesus. And I tell you, for goodness sakes, let it be that we forgive as God forgives. And if you're sitting there with a major hurt, because you came one Sunday and they took your seat. Yes, and you're battling with that now because they're hogging that. They come early just to grab your seat. But there are other issues where people overlook you. I know somebody said to me, every Sunday you come into the auditorium, you say hello to everybody, like exaggerating, but never me. Now, we've got to work through that. Oh, Matthew 18, if I've got a problem with you, I go and sort it out. We have to work through that. Very important, because we want to become better at what we've been called to do. And so we need to forgive. We need to forgive as Christ forgave us. He ties our forgiveness to forgiving each other and seeing value in that. And forgiving without a discussion or an argument or, you know, I'll just do a little bit of it. Remember Clint Eastwood? Any of you remember him? Cool cowboy. He had a movie called Unforgiven. And he stood over a guy over there and he says, God forgives and I don't. Boah! Blew the oak's head off. Maybe that's your attitude, you know? Yeah, God forgives, but I'm not God. I haven't got supernatural powers. Well, welcome to the party. We all thought like that at one stage. We need to get on board with God's grace. And we need to find ways to have those discussions and to talk it through. You see, many folk, in the context of local church, when they get hurt or they get misunderstood or overlooked, guess what happens? They hear from God and they go to another church. It's amazing, I've heard from God. Now you can't argue. But guess what, when you get to the other church, it's not going to be solved. Because you need to solve it here. It's so important that we learn how to connect with each other and sort it out. Sort it out. Love and forgive. Let no root to bitterness. Prefer one another. Other-centered. Very important. Last one I want to hit because I think this one for me is the one that I want to minister into this morning. We have been reconciled to the world. We're happy with one and we're happy with three. But points two, reconcile to myself. Point three, reconcile to the world. We battle with that. Because surely there are people that kind of go and do that job. I can just sit. I'll, I'll sit. No. It's up to every single one of us to understand that Christianity is not a spectator sport. And it's not just about filling seats. And it's great when the auditorium's full, but that's not the idea behind Christianity. 
We've got to break that approach. We've got to break that attitude and understand that we've been made ambassadors. You see, yes, many people's understanding of Christianity is it's another thing we tick off. Like you do cell phone insurance, don't insure it, and then you've got to sell one of your kids to pay for the screen. You know, sure. You don't insure, you insure your car, you insure your house goods. We've just had all our sound equipment stolen at Cornerstone. We never had insurance. We would have been in massive trouble. Insure your house, insure your life. Because if you die, you want your wife to at least be able to pay the bills. And then you go to church to insure the afterlife. Good, now I can go to heaven. Now just chill, cool. You know, just let's relax. No, no, no. We have been given grace to give grace. We have been healed to heal. We've been forgiven so we can forgive those and help others with this. You see, Father, help me. Break me open to this. So when Jesus calls the disciples, the original four, come follow me and I'll make you. Yeah, a lot of churches and a lot of attitude is come follow me and I'll make you comfortable. We'll make church about you. We'll make it that you're happy all the time because we're going to not challenge in any way. No, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Then he says in Matthew 28, I commission you, all of us, to go into all the nations and make disciples. So we are made to fish, commissioned to go. And then in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power to be witnesses. So I'm made to fish, commissioned to go, and I'm empowered to be a witness. So we've got everything that we need to make that happen. But here's the deal. We're dealing with flesh and blood. And I, I kind of call it this thing baboon Christianity. A lot of us live that way. You know baboons are not very pretty from the other side. <laughs> when you look at them that way, they, they still look off, close eyes, and you know, they're just looking to steal your food. But behind them, they've got this appendage over here. Yes. Don't you wish baboons wore little nappies? Because then it would help. They've got ugly bums. They really have. They they look like they've been on fire. That's how it is. And so this is your version of Christianity. I just make it into heaven. <laughs> like a baboon, you know. Walking on your all fours. What can I get? What can I get? You know, what's here for me? And there's still a bit of smoke off your butt. But I've made it. I've got to heaven. That's not the idea. You know, God's plan for all of us is that we walk with chest out, shoulders back. And well done, good and faithful servant. And when you look behind... Guess what there is? Throngs of people that have been born again through my prayer, through my example, and some of them I've never met. Andrew ministered for many years, and I'm going to say it, Andrew, I'm going to expose your nakedness into Tanzania. And you know, at the end of it, the thing him and his wife battled with, what have we done here? But there is a man, an Ephesians 4 gift called Martin, and that convert has led many to the Lord and planted many churches. That's what it's about. I'm telling you, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to get to heaven on my four, all fours looking like a little baboon and it's just about me. No ways, not at all. And so the bottom line, and I want to end with this and then I want to call some people forward. If that's cool with you, Doug. Uh, Doug I keep calling Stan Doug. Sorry. Stan, here we go. <laughs> um, for me, the, 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 the kind of bottom line is sometimes I've heard this excuse that my career, engineer, teacher, whatever it is, you know, that's what God's called me to do. 
So Paul was a tent maker, right? But he was a teacher. He was an apostle. He was an evangelist of the gospel. And so Paul's career of tent making was a platform for him to use for the gospel. So your engineering world, your time at Ilova Sugar, wherever you are, whatever your career is, you stand on that and you minister. That's the opportunity which is very unique to all of us and it's going to cover so many areas. That's what it is. When we get to heaven, it's not well done, good and faithful tent maker to Paul. You know, I loved the way you did tents. The stitching was cool. The way you put rooms on was very interesting. It's not. It's according to the gospel. And I want to encourage each of us, your call has got something to do with the gospel. Every one of us has become ambassadors for Jesus to share his incredible love. I'm often asked, how does a church become apostolic? That's how they become apostolic. Do you believe that you can walk past a secretary for 20 years at the office and at the great white throne judgment she is cast into the lake of fire? That there's not going to be a sense of culpability? It starts with prayer. It starts with us starting to take ownership of wherever we are. Stop being a chameleon. You know, when you're at work, you blend in. And when you're with your buddies, you blend in. No, we need to be there with the gospel, preaching this good news. And not irritating. Stop pounding people on the head with the Bible and that. Find a way to show them the love of Christ. They'll see it in us. And then as you pray, God will give you golden opportunities and using the gifts, gifts of knowledge, healing, and so on. See, outreach is not a program. You know, it's a course we take and then we can take it off. It's something we're with all the time. Do you have a prayer hit list? Have you heard of that? So one of your lists on your to-dos, on your iPhone or that other strange thing called Samsung, if you list the people you are trusting God for to be born again, list them. And we do that. We've got our family down there. Lots of unsaved people. We're first-generation Christians. Prayed 27 years for my dad to get born again, my stepfather. And he got born again. I managed to lead him to the Lord before he died. But it was 27 years of prayer that kind of reduced his resistance and made him understand. We ambassadors have a prayer hit list. It's a great thing for you to work together at as a couple. Write those names down. Neighbors, we pray. We're on mission, all of us, every single one of us. Amen? Cool. Can I call all the 25-year-olds and below up to come and stand here? I feel like I have a word for you guys. Uh-uh. Paul, just sit there. <laughs> Are you 25, Mr. Washer? <laughs> come stand here. It's, it's like through the countries that we go to and the equips that I've been at, there's a wonderful commissioning that is taking place. Come, some of you standing in the middle, it's not that bad. This is going to be a good time. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Look at how many 25 and below there are in this local church. This blows my mind. Sure. So when Jesus chose disciples, probably the average age was this age. This was it. Now I tell you, looking up here, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't have chose you, Oaks. <laughs> <laughs> I would have chosen the guys with degrees and BMWs and buckies and, you know, some responsible people. 
But here's the deal. Whoever he chooses, he equips to do the job. He doesn't choose the equipped or the guys who think that they are something, the girls. He chooses those whose hearts are open before him and are willing. And he will make you. He will equip you. He'll do whatever's necessary. And I kind of feel like we're rediscovering this generation in the church. This isn't a young adults group or a youth group. We do have those to care. This is the life of the church. There was a young lady in prayer with, she had denims on. Can you come forward, please? She had a great word, a prophetic word. Where are you? Please raise your hand. Oh, I hope you're not a children's ministry. Is she in kids' ministry? Ah. Oh, okay. Because that word, when I heard it, after kind of feeling what I was feeling in my heart for you guys, is it's just awesome. You see, we want to maybe in a way apologizing in making it some kind of almost impossible thing to reach to for the call of God and the ministry that is on our lives. But God's looking for willingness. And you're the likely crowd, as was 12 men, one failed, to go and change the face of the earth with the gospel. Yes, when you think of it that way, it kind of blows your mind. And I want to put adventure and courage back into you. Go and rediscover the call of God on your lives. There were, yeah, wait right there. You're going to share your prophetic word from prayer. Yes, that's right. You said the word was for us. Mm -mm. That's the only thing you got wrong. Otherwise, everything else was cool. <laughs> so at a university in, um, in Australia, they kind of did those picture associations, and they had two pictures, and they kind of did a survey. And the one picture was teacups and slices of cake, and the other, Indiana Jones. And they said, which reminds you of the church? Over 90% teacups and slices of cake. That's not my understanding when I read scripture. It's Indiana Jones. It's the wildest adventure we could ever go on. It really is. It's full. Y'all, you come and join the crowd. You're below 25, so come straight in. The one famous line in Indiana Jones... When he gets asked, the first movie, go and see it if you haven't, he gets asked, how are you doing this? And he says, I make it up as I go along. Too many times we want too many hows and whys. Just go out there and make a difference. I want to encourage you. And I'm going to pray for those Ephesians for gifts to rise out of this. Men and women, hello, who are going to kind of be champions of God and go and plant, go and you know, give your life to this. And you know, often we say, you know, get all your ducks in a row, you know, family, rest of it, cars, houses, then find the call of God. I want to suggest you right now go and find the call of God. And if you don't know how to do that, that's Discipleship 101. Uncle Stan will help you with this. <laughs> he really will. He's got a good team. And that's the starting point. Find the call of God. God's made you for a purpose and a reason. And so I want to pray over you guys because we're going to see through this, not Young people come in. They usually say, okay, well, good. No, people of all ages, all nationalities. You, what I feel God is wanting to mobilize. It's okay if I pray with them? Good. Father, we thank you. Yeah, maybe just reach out to him if you can. Raise your hands. Oh, wait, hang on. Prophecy. <laughs> morning, Glenridge. Um, this morning, when I was getting ready for church, God was like, you're not getting ready for 
this generation and getting ready for church for this generation and the next generation. I was like, that's odd. I'm not pregnant. I don't have a boyfriend, but cool, go for it. (laughs) And I just thought, God, that's so radical. He's like, seriously, by showing up to church, you're showing up to church for this generation and the coming generation. By standing and praying with the elders, you're showing up and praying for the church for this generation and the coming generation. I thought, yo, that's radical, Lord. Like, we, you work in the now for the future, but in the past, and like yesterday and today and tomorrow, I was like, whoo, thank you, Lord. So I really feel that even as we're praying, we're not just praying today, but we're praying today for tomorrow, but today. And I was like, wow. But thank you, Jesus. That was a prophetic word I felt. So everyone sitting here this morning, you're sitting here for this generation and the generation to come. You're sitting for the people who couldn't sit before you because they were bound in their own things and they renounced God, but you accepted Christ, so your children will come to know Christ and the people after you will come to know Christ. So that's incredibly amazing. So I just wanted to, I didn't want to share this, but they kind of made me, but like, yeah, (laughs) thanks. Awesome. So how about this? Would you like to come out? You're sitting in the seats and let's surround them and pray over them as I pray. Come on. Some of them you know, some of them you don't. But I think it would be awesome kind of a acknowledging that this church, like when Paul spoke to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, two, four generations. Churches are made up of multi-generations, but we trust in God for the mobilizing of this group.